Hello, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of Kill Your Yo-Yo, the podcast dedicated to yo-yo theory, yo-yo improvisation, and yo-yo performance. My name is Ross Levine, and this show is brought to you by my brand, Illinx Toys. We right now have our first major yo-yo release, the Melatonin, available on yoyosam.com and yoyotricks.com in three awesome colors, so get those while they're still in stock. Today I have an awesome guest with some incredible accolades. This is the first ever world yo-yo champion to be on this podcast. It's Michael Nakamura. If you know uh, foray yo-yoing, then you already know Michael because he is an insanely talented, ridiculously precise, and uh, and very well-spoken about individual, and also just such a nice guy to talk to. Um, he has been uh, one of the best players in yo-yoing for so long, and one of the things that makes him special is that he started yo-yoing, and then four years later, he won Worlds. That It took four years, and he won Worlds. That's something that no one, <laughs> very few people ever do in their life, and he did it in four years. So imagine the, the skill level you're at right now, and then imagine four years later, you're winning Worlds, and now imagine taking away the skill level that you're at right now and still being able to do that achievement. That's what he did. So how did he do that? And what went through his mind while he was doing it? And how did he continue to practice and put in all those hours? Well, those are all questions that I ask him. Other than that, we also talk about different kinds of theory of uh, 4A yo-yoing and what makes it different from 1A and also solo ham. How is that different from Diabloing? We talk about all that theory and where is yo-yo design headed in the future? Well, we talk about that too. So I'm going to stop rambling to you about what we're going to talk about and I'm just going to let you hear it. So sit back, relax, put in your earbuds, grab your yo-yo, pour some tequila in it, take a shot. If you're under 21, ignore the last two things that I said, pour some grape juice in a yo-yo, drink that and have a great time listening to the one and only Michael Nakamura. Enjoy. Hello, Michael. <laughs> hey, Ross. How's it going? Oh, it's going so good. For the first time, we didn't have to restart this intro. I know. It's <laughs> totally natural. Nothing weird uh, going on. Not at all. Um, so, oh my God, I'm so excited to have you. It is, I've been really looking forward to this for, for oh God, ever since you said that you wanted to do it like a couple months ago. Um, so I, first of all, just want to introduce you to the audience, just in case anyone hasn't heard of you, which is unlikely. Um, you are a world champion for a player sponsored by something that's um, uh, uh, Mickey's brand. Everybody knows him. Uh, and you want Hiroyuki Suzuki. I literally forgot his name for a second. <laughs> oh my God. But it, my uh, a lot of people's favorite yo-yoers and one of my original favorite yo-yoers uh, sponsored by his brand. You've won BAC. You won the Las Vegas Open. Um, also, you won BAC more times, you said, than you can remember. Like you just have lost track of how many times you won BAC. Uh, and then also uh, PNWR, you've also won. And one year you said you won in 1A and also in 4A at the same time in the same year. So like pulling pulling some crazy, crazy competition stats here. Yeah, it's been a long time yo-yoing. So I guess that's kind of just like what comes with the territory, you know? Yeah, 
long time uh like competing at high levels too yeah yeah plays into that um man and that's something that we definitely are going to hit on is like not just yo-yoing but I mean, in general, whatever you practice for, you're going to get better at. So like if you're just practicing at yo-yoing for the sake of yo-yoing, you'll get good at like, oh, chill, hanging out, yo-yoing. Uh, but <laughs> if you're practicing yo-yoing to win, that's what you'll get good at. Yeah. And there's definitely a difference in like how you practice to win versus practice just to like, in general, improve at yo-yoing, you know? Absolutely. Oh, completely. So we're definitely going to hit on that in a second. And if anybody's listening, like, there's there are five pages of notes that I took in the pre-interview that we're gonna work through. So this is gonna be a good, good episode filled with good stuff. Um yeah, definitely. So just to start out with where we start with everybody in this show is your backstory. How did you get started in yo-yoing? Where do I start? I mean, like since I was a kid, when I was like, you know, five, six years old, I've always had a yo-yo around me for some reason. I don't know, I'm not really sure why. Like, for example, I just had a fast two of one laying around in my house somehow that just like did gravity pulls and forward passes with. My dad got me like a translucent green fireball to mess around with until the string broke and I just like stopped using it. Mm-hmm. But then I think in middle school, this one French guy visited with a Diablo, you know, Chinese yo-yo, mm-hmm. kind of like an Austrian yo-yo, and he did a demonstration and I was like, that's cool. I want to start doing that. So I asked my mom to get me a Diablo from that one French guy, you know, mm-hmm. but then she was like, no, like, why would you want to do that? And I just kept on pestering her over and over again about it and finally got a Diablo. So I got pretty good at that over the next like year or so. But of course in Diablo and like the whole juggling world, there's some overlap with the yo-yoing as well, you know? And I kind of started like getting kind of interested in that, but not too seriously. And then one day, in around 2009-ish era, I was just, you know, browsing YouTube like a regular bull middle school kid, um, following the YouTube algorithm, whatever it throws at me, watching like sneezing panda videos, how to be ninja. And then eventually I saw this one video called Yo-Yo God, which I'm sure a lot of people have seen. It has like several millions of views at this point, but it's basically Hiroki Suzuki at like Worlds 04, 05 or something with this crazy like speed routine, doing these insane tricks around the body. But when he did like, the horizontal tricks, that's a really common eye, right? Mm. After seeing that video of like yo-yo competitions, looking more into it and stuff, I don't know what about it really got me that interested in it, but just the idea of using such a simple toy to do these crazy complicated tricks that no one's ever seen before made me wanna pick up a yo-yo too and learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. So I went back to my fast tool one, tried doing tricks with it, <laughs> but it was pretty hard. I couldn't even do a breakaway or trapeze. Mm-hmm. And I did some more research on what yo-yo it takes to like learn these tricks. And I found out about yo-yo jam, yo-yo factory, so on. And I eventually picked up a dark magic one, I believe, from yo-yo expert mm-hmm. and just got started from the yo-yo expert tutorials, the expert village from Andre. So that's kind of how I like discovered yo-yoing, but in terms of how I kind of like learned more and more, and I mentioned on the competition scene, it was kind of an obsession at some point. Like every day from like the summer to like the fall semester of school, spring semester, it was just like 
go to school, come back home, yo-yo for like four hours straight till dinner, eat dinner, get back to yo-yoing, just fall asleep and start over every single day. So I essentially just ran through the yo-yo expert trick list and eventually found out about the yo-yo expert forms and yo-yo nation forms, if you remember yo-yo nation. Oh yeah. And then once I was at that point, I learned how much more you can do with the yo-yo and how people were like making up their own tricks. And then I wanted to do that too. So that's kind of like how I got started into yo-yoing to the point where eventually I found about contests and kind of just like took off from there. Mm. That is awesome. Uh, first of all, I love the idea of you trying to do Hiroiki Suzuki style tricks with a fast 201. <laughs> that, is, that is not a good yo-yo. <laughs> I'm so happy that like the replay pro exists. Another thing I want to check is what do you remember your usernames for um, Yo-Yo Nation and for the Yo-Yo Expert forums, just in case people want to go check out your old posts? I think my username was Mike, M-I-K-E, knock, N-A-K, 36, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. It's either 36 or one, one of those two. 36 or 31 or 36 or the number one? It's either Mike, knock, 36 or Mike, knock, one. Got it. Yeah. But yeah, I was pretty active in the forums because there was like stuff just like yo-yo reviews, yeah. FAQs, even like video battles, which was really cool. But then I think that, the form really like helped me get super invested into it, you know? Yeah. I I remember like, you know, when you're in middle school and high school and you got nothing else to do and you're it's just like after school, that's where everybody is just sitting there. Got your yeah, it actually got too... It got pretty bad actually in middle school because I just like didn't study at all and like barely passed all my classes for like, the first wow. like one or two years because I was just so obsessed with yo-yoing. Uh-huh. But after a certain point, my mom was like, if you don't get like better grades, you're not going to contest anymore. I'm like, oh man, I got I to like get on top of this stuff. Wow. That's awesome. Um, so who would you say besides Hiroki Suzuki, um, which, wow, what an easy to remember name that I would never forget. Um, literally one of my biggest inspirations. But besides Yuriki Suzuki, uh, who would you, um, who else would you say is your like big inspirations that, that you looked up to? The two that stood out when I first started yo-yoing had to be Eric Koloski. Mm. I think his 2008 World's Finals Freestyle, I really enjoyed that, how he uses slacks a lot just had like a cool like flow to his tricks you know mm-hmm. so there is that but also i really enjoyed paul Hahn a lot because he brought like a certain presence to the stage whenever he oh, yeah. and he's been going for a long time too since like the thp era and the fact that he like transitioned from 2a to 1a so seamlessly was really cool to me mm-hmm. what would you say it is about his like stage presence that you found interesting I don't know how to explain it, but it's just like he had a lot of swag on stage, you know? Uh-huh. Like he had that kind of like skater boy look to it. He was like cool music, always had like visually playing tricks mm-hmm. and kind of like engage with the audience. I really like that a lot. Absolutely. Oh, he's he's great. Um so you so those are those are two good ones for people to look up is Eric Koloski and Pahan. Awesome yo-yoers. Um and you eventually got into competing 
when how soon from when you started yo-yoing from like once you got through the first couple like find green triangle uh Mm -hmm. double or nothing to when you started competing how long do you think it was between those two so i started with my first like you know first few tricks on the yo-yo expert trick list Mm -hmm. in summer of 09 okay and then in summer of 2010 I discovered on the forum that there was going to be a DXL battle contest, which I'm not sure if people remember what that was. But basically, it's like a battle style yo-yo competition where two guys are on stage and kind of like they have 30 seconds each to do whatever tricks they want, how much they want. And then at the end of the like four rounds of that battle, the judges would score or like judges would just like completely subjectively decide who yeah. was the cool yo-yo where and who goes on to the next round of the tournament. But essentially, that portion of the contest was for sponsored players only. And the day mm. before the contest, there was like a prelims for unsponsored players. And I competed in that via a one or two minute freestyle. So okay. that's kind of how I got into competitions at first. I obviously didn't do that great. I dinged my media on the floor on stage. Oh, no. <laughs> But I was able to really meet a lot of the pro players and just being able to interact with them a lot got me really motivated. Okay. So that's kind of your first competition was one year after starting. Yeah. And then uh, when did you start to sort of do good at competitions? I think uh, like really good or like relatively good at this point. Relatively. Like when, when was it like not just being there meeting people? going home like, uh, oh my god i met blah 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 <laughs> yeah so i dxl at the dxl battle i met a lot of like yo-yoers in person for the first time right uh-huh. like i met like al satori elliot ogawa james mm-hmm. reed who at the time were pretty like small names in the yo-yo industry but now they're getting really big you know yeah and then when i got to meet more and more players it made me want to go to even like different cities to go to the competitions hang out with them and compete so I think in around 2011 at Cal States in Sacramento, that was my first time actually doing kind of well in competition. I think I got third place in 3A actually, not even 4A. I got third in 3A. But then around the summer of 2011 at BLC, that's when I got more and more consistent at my 4A tricks and started placing better in competitions. Okay. That's all. So that something I just want people to realize is like how quick <laughs> this progression is because if I'm not mistaken, it was 2013 that you won Worlds, right? Yeah. So four years after I got my first Dark Magic. Wow. So that that is a four-year progression from just being a Diablo like you know a basic diablo player i assume like you you weren't doing yeah. ridiculously crazy tricks right to winning the world yo-yo contest in foray um that's just ridiculous something i'm interested in is uh and it's it's good knowing kind of like what the contest in between there was but when you were on stage during that cuz you know we'll get into all the what went into before it but when you were on stage it's happening right now um what was going through your head how were you feeling um 
what 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 is it like to be doing a world championship winning routine like in worlds 2013 yeah when you when you won so i think um that was actually my second worlds my first one was in 2012 where my initial goal was to just make finals right mm-hmm. so i was more stressed out for prelims that year than finals uh-huh. and once i was in finals i kind of just like messed around didn't take it too seriously but the year after in 2013 i was like a lot more focused in placing the top five in finals once i made it through you know so on stage in worlds 2013 i think i went into it well first of all i don't watch any freestyle beforehand right to just like calm the nerves a little bit and not watch other players compete but on stage i guess it was a little bit nervous but most of the nervousness went away before I actually stepped on stage. And once I was on stage, I just like acted like I was in my own living room, running through my freestyle, like I'm at home, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure at that point it's automatic. You've done it so yeah. many times. Yeah, I can't even count how many times I did that freestyle at home. <laughs> <laughs> Probably as many times as you've won BAC in that case. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, uh, man, so something I realized, I, I watched through your your routine because I watched it probably in 2013, but I, I rewatched through it and uh, awesome routine, so good um, and very risky too. And I noticed there's two points where you lost control and what was that like and how do you get yourself back into it because uh, first of all just to that's not a a diss of your routine at all that is <laughs> that is what happens when you're doing for a um yeah. and you still won so uh how do you get yourself back into like how do you get through that mentally when you're like oh god i'm on the world stage i just dropped um what do you do to kind of recover mentally so personally when i make a mistake in foray I don't really panic too much when it's like a little like drop, you know, mm-hmm. but when it does fall off the stage and it's like a negative three major, yeah. that's when I kind of start to panic a little bit. Uh-huh. But fortunately in that case, it was just like a normal minus one major for a restart and like one small bloop somewhere in there too. So in those situations, I didn't really like, it didn't affect me too much. I kind of was just like, this happens during practice at home once in a while too. I'm not going to worry about it. I'll just, keep moving on my freestyle got it wow that was such a good routine and it's so well put to the music as well it's something that i noticed it's something that hiroyuki suzuki does as well of like mm-hmm. every moment kind of goes to the beat of, of how the song goes um and and it also and we'll get into this more there were different points where you sort of focused you shifted the focus of the audience by first of all moving around the stage and also uh, changing speed, changing sort of style throughout. So it's just really well put together, not just as a competition set, but like as a performance that could play anywhere for any audience and they'd, they'd be captivated for the whole time. Um, so, so, so good. Um, I, I really loved watching that. Then- um, yeah. yeah, that routine had a lot of, definitely a lot of thought put into it in the production of it. Because I think that was one of the first years when they had like a new-ish judging system where they even incorporated things like stage use or like, you know, body control. So every little aspect was taken into consideration when putting it together. And not only was it made just like 
in my own living room. But it had a lot of input from other yoyos as well on like what they thought of it, what I could improve on, and so on. You know. Who? So, what were some of the tips that you got, and who did you talk to? So it was first kind of like conceived in the garage of Elliot Ogawa one summer, where we were like looking for the correct kind of music that could you know work on the world stage, with like lots of fluctuations in tempo different moods to work with and really have clear breaks and like sections, you know, to break up your tricks. So that was one really big thing that really helped a lot in organizing the routine. And another thing was kind of just being able to coordinate your body and your body around the stage with the tricks, like for smaller dense tech tricks, I guess you kind of want to go close to the audience for maybe like easier tricks that don't require as much effort to do, I can take advantage of that and do more like stage movement to kind of lower the risk of mistakes. And I guess little things like that helped a lot in figuring out every step of the way of what I should do while I'm on stage. So do you mean to, to get those points for uh, moving around the stage, you wanted to do your lower, lower risk tricks while doing that because yeah. you're you're less likely to screw those up while while walking. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. got you. Oh, that's so interesting. I, I never would have considered that. Um, I also love that, like, for those denser tricks moving forward, and then probably also for the bigger ones, you want to move back so that mm. people can get a, a better view. And also, you just everything looks so much bigger because you can throw so much higher um, as far as like their field of vision on the stage. Mm -hmm. um, that's awesome. So I love that. Um, and then what kind of happened after? Did you walk off stage and go, well, I guess you weren't watching the other competitors, so you didn't know how you were in comparison to other people, but how did you feel afterwards? I felt pretty good. Hmm? I think I had a total of like minus three minors and like minus one major. Oh. It was pretty solid. I landed pretty much all of my tricks, I think. So I was pretty confident in how I did in like the top five range. And I was like, all right, I think I'm at my goal of reaching the top five at Worlds. So I was a lot more relaxed after that and just, you know, didn't worry too much about it. But then I think that year, Ray Iwakura went after me because he won the Worlds previous to that. And then everyone was watching it. He kind of made a couple of, you know, pretty big mistakes that year. And I was like, huh. That's kind of new. I may have maybe placed a little bit better than in that case. And then just watching more and more players after me, some of the top ranked ones didn't do as well as they hoped, I think. And I guess that kind of worked to my favor because then it kind of helped me reach that higher ranking at the contest. Mm. But then once it got to like the award ceremony, you know, uh, they were announcing like second and third place. And then I was like wondering, like they announced third place. It was Chen Shin Hin from Hong Kong, I believe, and on second place, and it was Naoto Okada, who had a kind of a shaky freestyle too. And then between that moment of like them announcing second place and them announcing first place, a lot of stuff went through my mind, just like wondering, there's no way I actually won, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But you can kind of see in the video too. I'm just like so deep in my thought. But once they did announce first place, I was just like, it couldn't be real. That's awesome. 
So right after they announced it, what did you what was going through your head? <laughs> when it was such a, such a high, I don't really remember that much. <laughs> That's amazing. It was just like a blur. Oh my god, and a well deserved blur. That that was it was like great routine. And I mean, even if Ray did a little bit worse, and and that played to your favor, that is such an amazing thing to 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 win worlds it's it's absolutely crazy and so like massive props especially i i don't know if this is true but there you have to be contending for at least the top five of like quickest from learning to winning worlds i think in the modern day in the modern day maybe oh yeah maybe maybe hajime did it faster not sure Mm -hmm. like takeshi Mm -hmm. but probably somewhere up there it, it was super, it was super, super good though. Uh, you, you'll, we'll, we'll have to get a uh, someone to to check all those records, <laughs> <laughs> compile a list, um, start doing stats like they do in basketball. Uh, <laughs> so that's great. And one other thing I'm interested in is what was going on, sort of outside of your life, that was kind of supporting your ability to do this? Cause I know you're, you're doing school. Um, but like, what, what was, were you doing any other hobbies or was your life just school and yo-yoing? Outside of school and yo-yoing, I did a, quite a few sports. I was okay. pretty active in karate where there was some, a lot of full contact sparring and tournaments, you know, uh-huh. but I was also on my high school, yeah, high school baseball team where it was pretty intense practices. Cause we would start in like at like two o'clock practice and during the spring season it would last until like seven o'clock if you had games or like extended practices so it was kind of hard to fit in the yo-yo practice schedule at first during the school year but once summer came around it was just all yo-yo every day wow so nothing else think, <laughs> yeah pretty much uh-huh. but i think a big part of helping me get better at foray especially practicing for competitions is staying fit you know because okay. four is a pretty physical style of yo-yoing with a lot of like pretty large movements you throw the yo-yo a lot more i think and you gotta chase after the yo-yo too whenever you make a mistake yeah so with like me doing a lot of baseball you know running a lot mm-hmm. a lot of working out i think that helped me kind of build up more endurance to practice for longer periods of time and in general, like, not get as fatigued while I'm on stage doing my tricks. Interestingly, uh, Chris Chun, who was on the show, said the same thing. Um, oh, really? Yeah, he he lost a lot of weight, and he he's competed in Foray for a long time. And he, like, after lost after he lost all that weight, he was like, that just made me such a better yo-yo. <laughs> um, so that's that's a good tip for I mean, not just yo-yoing, not just Foray, but for everybody. Stay, stay as fit as, yeah staying as fit as your genetics allow you like that is uh that that's definitely a good way to improve your abilities um that's so so good and, and what like um did did you have anyone in your in your life who was like really pushing you forward on this or was this totally internally motivated um i think or, like some really big part- support I think for the most part, it was an internal motivation that I had okay. where I wanted to do better and better at, at contests, you know? Yeah. 
But I think what helped me a lot was that my mom was super supportive of my yo-yoing. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, yo-yoing is a pretty like small thing compared to like yes. these huge ESP and sports, you know? Yeah. So not a lot of parents might like push them as much or like support them in traveling to all these cities to compete. But then, you know, my family just like being able to like drive seven hours to Sacramento for Cal States or like fly all the way to Florida, that definitely helped a lot. And they were always like, you know, making sure I was well fed at contests. I was actually like taking care of myself and just didn't, you know, have bad health in general. Uh Like when I was practicing too at home, I'd always like ask them to watch my free stuff, like input, you know? And then I guess kind of like like the tough love aspect of it where it's like, you need to get better at this thing, this thing, and this thing. Definitely helped me be more critical myself too. That's that was coming from your from your mom. Yeah, mostly my mom. Wow, that's awesome. And uh, just on that point is, um, it's it's a weird sport. I mean, we all know, or I mean, if if you're considering it as a sport, yo-yoing is a weird sport. And to get your parents like not only blessing to do it, but their support behind it is is rare. But when it happens, um, for anyone who's listening, Alex Atori's mom. Like if you think, oh, Alex Atori is so awesome. Alex Atori's mom is so supportive and so helpful and so nice. And uh, these are just two two examples of people that are like really stand out to me. And also uh, Justin Dower's mom, Michelle yeah. Dower, who we've mentioned her on the show. They are both like so supportive of like driving everywhere, talking to other yo-yoers, uh, giving feedback on stuff and like just total like soccer mom but for yo-yoing so if, if you have that that just helps you out so much so have your mom listen to or dad or parent of, of of any of any sort listen to this section and and realize like having a supportive parent really really helps for these things um, and like being at the contest too meeting other parents yes. is really fun i think for the parents too you know yeah because like i feel like a lot of yo-yoers share the same struggles of like kind of being a little bit nerdy, but taking the sport really seriously yeah. and kind of having that common aspect is really good for the community too. <laughs> Your kid's totally crazy. Mine is too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's go get a beer together. Uh, <laughs> man. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's definitely a good, good thing to keep in mind. Um, so I really wanted to hit on that just because it's like, support is such a huge part of, of anything and no one ever does these things alone mm-hmm. um so what would you say and another thing of like why i wanted to get kind of into your head of like what was happening is because and this is something i talked with um my friend jordan about who is, uh, he does dxl and um he's he's been kind of giving me some feedback on the show. He was, he was recently like, Ross, you talk so bad about competition all the time. Like, I, I think that might discourage people from listening to the show if they're the kind of people who like competition. And that's why I was really interested because I was literally like, oh my God, I've got Michael coming on. What a good opportunity to address someone who like really is into competition, wants to go to competition for competition's sake, which is not really how I necessarily approach yo-yoing. And I sort of tend to talk against that um, not really against that, but my point is, I don't hate competition. I'm partly just saying this for for the sake of of the listeners. I don't hate competition in general, 
I, I don't even hate competition at all. Uh, I, I actually love competition. I love being in competitions and I'm, I'd say a very competitive person. What I, what I would say my position is, is that competitions as they are, as being the only yo-yo event that exists, that's really the issue that I want to expand out on. And so I do, I did want to get into your head of like, what is it that draws somebody to compete? And if people are listening and they see those awesome competitors and they want to be one of them one day and win that gold, like, what does that feel like to get that? And so that's why I'm really happy that, that you're willing to share some of those insights of like what it's like being there. Um, I really wanted to get in your head and oh, that, was, that was really good hearing that from you. Um, so one other thing now sort of the downside is what does it take? <laughs> what does it take to, uh, as far as practice, what was it, what were those hours that you were putting in chugging away when you were rehearsing for that routine? I know you hit on it, but like, what was kind of your, your regiment, your schedule? What did that look like? Yeah. So I guess preparing for a contest like the world's, which is like the biggest scale possible, right? There's definitely a couple of steps for me when I practice. So obviously first there is the trick side of it where you must prepare what tricks you want to do, balancing like low risk and high risk tricks, but also try to get enough points. Yep. But then once you have your tricks kind of like set up from like previous competitions, you know, just general day-to-day -day practice, you gotta, I guess, get your routine down which involves kind of like choosing the music, which I touched on earlier, figuring out like where to insert each trick to match the music, along with, I guess, figuring out how risky of a trick to add on to certain parts of the freestyle. Cause I think, to me at least, I never want to start my freestyle with a super hard trick or end it with a really hard trick as well. Cause it's just like a recipe for disaster if you mess your first trick or yeah. end poorly, right? Mm -hmm. But then for the beginning part, when you're making that freestyle, it's definitely more mental work than actual yo-yoing. Like you're on the computer, taking notes of what tricks to put where, you know, editing your music and so on, which I'm sure like a lot of yo-yoers can relate to. But then once you kind of like feel really confident in what your freestyle looks like, and even like just the overall vibe of it, I think that's when you can finally start practicing really seriously for the competition because once that routine is done in my opinion at least i think it's easier to practice it as like a giant block of tricks than like breaking it up and doing each trick over and over again and then finally putting it together before the contest so then once that routine's done and i have like maybe like a month or two before the world's contest i would pretty much just practice it over and over again every day to find out where my pain points are that I need to work on. So like if I notice like a certain trick is one that I'm having trouble landing pretty consistently with the music or like one that I just like can't land very cleanly, I would just spend an entire day drilling down that one trick until I feel pretty comfortable with it. And then once that's kind of out of the way, you have most of your tricks down pretty well it's really just a matter of like pushing yourself to practice as much as possible so that once the day of the contest comes, it's like second, second nature to you, you know? Hmm. That, so, um, just, just a point is that reminds me, there's a book called the goal by Eli Goldratt, which 
uh, Eliahu Goldratt is his full name, but um, he, that is a, a book that, that businesses, it's, it's written for like people in engineering and, and business and it's sort of a story about a, a factory. I promise this does tie in with what you were saying. This is a story about a factory and it's a total mess and it's how the process that they went through to get it better. And it's sort of a, one of the books that um, like in lean manufacturing, it's a, it's a big thing that, that started with Toyota and it's why Toyota is one of the best auto manufacturers in the world. And so it's sort of a, a way that he spreads uh, ideas about that. And his whole theory, it's called the theory of constraints. And essentially, which this is more general and can be used for everything, it's if you have a system and there's one really weak point, it's sort of the idea that like a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, then mm -hmm. what you need to do is find what that weak point is uh, stop everything else, slow everything else that you're doing down to the speed of that slowest thing, and then work on figuring out how do I speed up that slowest thing. And then once you've got that up to speed, um, or, or once you find that that's no longer the bottleneck, because it's it's so fast that it's that it's good and and uh, and totally reliable, then you see all right, what's the next slowest thing? And now let's slow everything back down to that speed of whatever that is. And then by the end you've done that so many times that you no longer have any bottlenecks and you just have a, a system that's running sort of like a drum beat over and over and over. Um, and so that is kind of what, what you were making me think of, of like find what the, and I really love what you do. That's literally in line with, with the theories of lean manufacturing <laughs> is when you find something wrong in your routine, it's not, all right, I'm going to like practice the whole routine over and over because you already have the whole routine practice. It's, I have two months, I can stop everything and spend an entire day now just focusing in on that one thing until that's fixed. And now that that's fixed, let's find the next worst thing and focus on that. Yeah, exactly. Because especially with 482, making that one mistake over and over again definitely gets frustrating because yeah. you're dropping the yo-yo, having to pick it up all the time and like chase after it. So it definitely doesn't motivate you to just like try and finally figure it out. But yeah. if you can't figure it out, that's a sign to just, I guess, scrap that trick and put in a comparable trick that still fits with the routine, you know? Mm. But then once the routine's kind of like overall somewhat polished, that's when you want to start running through it to the point where you get as minimal mistakes as possible while making some, some minor adjustments to your tricks to make it incrementally better little by little. But then once the contest is, I guess, getting closer and closer, that's when I start to ramp down my practice scheduling to kind of like avoid overstressing myself. I see. So you've already kind of got it locked in your brain. <laughs> and so, so do, by that, do you mean like going from doing it 10 times a day to like once a day or not think, at all? I think from when I was practicing, I was practicing like 40 times a day when I was like really going deep into it. Wow. But then it's not realistic to be at a contest and practice your routine 40 times a day, right? Because you just tie yourself out before you on stage. So in that case, I try and ramp down little by little to like five or 10 times a day to try and simulate the contest experience. So it got to the point where I was even like simulating the time of the day of when my freestyle be up. So for prelims, for example, I'd wake up at like 9 a.m. Because for whatever reason, prelims is so early at Worlds, it's like, 10 a.m. in the morning. I wake up that early, practice prelims at a similar schedule as Worlds in the morning, 
and try to get it consistently, you know, landing consistently, even though I'm kind of tired in the morning. You know what I mean? I got you. So, so you're kind of simulating the entire environment of where you're going to end up, not yeah. just doing the tricks, but okay. Did you like tape off a section of your house to as the same dimensions of the stage or anything like that? Um, nothing like that, but I did okay. kind of imagine the stage like at my house hmm. so that once I see the actual stage, I can adjust my movements by like the ratio of how much bigger the stage is, you know? Hmm. I see you. That's awesome. Um, so that is just to kind of give people the idea of like how much work goes into that. It is, <laughs> it is, it is not just because, you know, for me, if I have a new trick idea, I'll like practice it when I'm at work and then I'll do it a few times when I'm at home. It is not that the, the idea of doing a routine or even one trick 40 times in a row just thinking about that stresses me out. I don't even know where I'd have the time to do that. So that's just such a totally different approach. Um, but doing that, I think is what gives you the ability your, I mean, I, I've said this about competitive uh, performers often is the amount of precision that you have to be able to hit, like even a whip bind. When I see a, a high level for a player hit a whip bind, it just hits the tip of the string or it looks like it and it just comes up every time. And I still am not consistent with my normal whip buttons after doing 4A for 10 years. <laughs> we we actually started pretty much the same time. I still can't hit a consistent whip button. So like that is so, so incredible. Um, and, and definitely what comes from putting in that many reps over that much time. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd say one other thing is like, what do you think draws you to compete because we've we sort of talked around it but what is like the thing that draws you into it and to keep going and to put in all those reps i think part of it is that i want to you know display my tricks mm -hmm. and just give the audience more of like an idea of what's possible in foray mm -hmm. because i was never much of like a yo-yo video kind of person because it just wasn't really my thing but that kind of meant that competition stages are the, the main form of display for me, where I'm able to choreograph it with the music, you know, show never before, never before seen tricks before. And I guess get an audience reaction as well of how they respond to the trick. But on top of that, I think I'm also a very quantitative person where being able to see my score and how I do in comparison to others really shows me that I am improving little by little with every competition that's that's awesome so sort of having that analytical mindset so it's sort of the performer mindset and then the analytical mindset of like you want to show off something new show that you can hit it in front of humans and not just like edit it in um and then also sort of the the side of being able to watch your score and track it over time yeah pretty much because like after every contest too uh -huh. I would check the score sheet, see how I do in each category too. So next time when the next contest comes around, I try and focus on that one category where I was kind of like lacking on and see what I can do to improve it. Mm -hmm. Do you have like, do you track it in like a spreadsheet or is it just sort of a 
look at it, keep it in mind, remember it for next time? I think since judging can be kind of subjective, it doesn't make sense to have it in a spreadsheet to do like a one-to-one -one comparison. So I just kind of have like an idea in my mind going to the next contest. I guess also with changing rules year to year. Mm, yeah, that's through. true. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so how would you, I, I think you had some, some fun things to say about this in the pre-interview. What would you do different at a yo-yo event? Um, this is outside of the competition phase because I think that's still, I mean, as we said, rules changing year to year. I think maybe one day we'll find the system that gets used for the most part um, and, and they'll like totally stabilize. But uh, outside of that, what do you think kind of alternative events? One other thing is we mentioned DXL and that mm -hmm. is, I think my if if competitions happen, that I think is my favorite approach to a yo-yo competition, just because it's person against person. You have to, you're both going to the same song. That's another thing. You don't get oh, to yeah. your music. So you really have to improvise your way through it. And I'd say that's a, a really interesting, it's, it's not necessarily the best way to do a competition because you can't really do a performance, but it shows like who is the best yo-yoer in general because you have to be able to yo-yo on the spot <laughs> with no prior anything. So that's sort of a, another way to do a competition. What would you say uh, other events or competition styles um, or ways to change competitions as they are or yo-yo events as they are? To like have more people engage, you mean? Like just not just um, competitors? I guess it's two questions. What would you say different yo-yo competition styles could be or ways that you would change the competition system as it is? And then I'll ask the next question. In terms of changing the competition system right now. If there is anything. It's kind of like, I think for now it's an okay system, okay. but maybe to motivate people to, I guess, bring out more of a personal aspect to their performances. Because every now and then when I watch certain freestyles, it gets pretty repetitive with each person, even in prelims too. But I think if you can tailor your freestyle to be more like yourself, it'll not only stick more to the judges, but also to kind of like have a subconscious effect on your higher score. You know what I mean? I see. Of, of like when you're out there being yourself, it'll, yeah. <laughs> it'll show through your, your routine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Might you say if you're you're not out there doing just a competition freestyle, but out there giving a performance and yeah, exactly. doing artistic expression. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm all on board with that. Um man, that's good. So then the other thing is what other sort of additions to um outside of the competition, but the whole event that we're at, how would you change those or alter those to to be more engaging with the yoga community because as i've said mm -hmm. on the show before one in, uh, issue is like you go to a competition all the best yoyers in the world are there and they're all facing a wall with their earbuds in doing their <laughs> doing their routine over and over and over so like uh what changes might you make to make a comp or an event more engaging for the people who are there i think part of the reason why a lot of competitors kind of just like do that thing where they're just at the wall practicing routine over and over again with earbuds in, is that competitions are stressful, you know? 
Like, you ought to be a little bit crazy to actually subject yourself to hours and hours of practice a day with just one chance to hit it on stage too. Where if you mess things up, it's like, well, that's about it. Yeah. So I think in terms of the actual contest itself, there's not much to do to really like help engage all parts of the community. But what I really like are the after parties at contests because once the competition parts are all over, everyone can just relax, hang out, and just like not think so much about how they did on stage. They can just like, you know, meet all the yoyoers and have a good time. Because a lot of times we have, I guess, like unofficial hangouts after the contest, like at a hotel lobby or something like that, where I think if it's more widely, I guess, advertised, it could be a really good experience for people that just like meet not only up and coming viewers, but those that are already like pretty, pretty well placed in the industry. Yeah, it's a good way to connect. And also for, I mean, if, if the, the high level people are at a contest and they, they don't see, cause you know, there's more than one reason to sponsor a person. It's not just who can win the contest. If they're just out there and they're scouting at like, <laughs> at, at, a, at the, at the junior competition, seeing who's, who's doing the best there, but then they miss the kid. Who's like really just an awesome person loves yo-yoing and is like teaching people at the after party, some new trick and like mm-hmm. going out and it's really engaging like that. Like, not only is it good for the community, but as a commercial aspect of, of the, the people who are running companies, like you might miss that if you're not at the, at the after party seeing that. Yeah, exactly. And even at the DXL meets too, like local yo-yo meets. Oh, yeah. I think it's a great part of the community too, to just mm-hmm. have people, you know, bounce ideas off of, hang out, get to know each other, which I think is a pretty necessary part of yo-yoing. Yeah. Plus completely low stakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's, it's almost crazy seeing the difference between people at contests and then at DXL. <laughs> yeah, like at contests, sometimes people can be kind of like kind of cold to you because you know, they're so invested yeah. in their routine. They but just, at DXL, meet, they're just like normal people just hanging out. Yeah, just just chilling. Yeah. Oh man. Um. So as far as alternative events go, this is something I just learned. We both went to was uh, SkillCon, which was. I think in 2014? Yeah, the one in Vegas. The one in Vegas, right? Yeah. It was, uh, the, the yo-yo event was the Las Vegas Open. So you mm-hmm. can look that up. I think Kai Zizen, Kai Zizen won. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he was an awesome, like, basketball-themed routine, which I loved both yeah. as, a, as, a, as a routine and as a performance. Uh, and then... Um, but around that, could you go into like what the rest of the event was that was happening? It was a pretty long time ago. So it's kind of like kind of spotty memory. Yeah. But from what I remember, it kind of felt a lot more like that just a giant hangout with a competition in the background. Yeah. Like I think for some reason that contest had a little bit, a little bit less serious competitors and more just casuals looking to hang out, you know, like go to the other juggling festivals there too, and just explore Vegas and have a good time. And that's definitely one thing I was getting at is like, this was not just a yo-yo event. This was a a juggling 
cardistry, kendama, yo-yo, magic. Uh, there were people doing, it's a game that's like tetherball, but you kick the ball over the net. It's called, I forget, I'm, I would butcher the name. It, it's like, set, oh, I'm not going to try. Uh, there's, there's like probably 15 different um, events. Oh, flair bartending was going on. It's like all oh, right. these different communities all in one space in Las Vegas. And they only ran it, I think, two years. And the second year, no one showed up or very few people showed up. And because um, I think they were just like, their resources were too thin between all those different competitions yeah. um, or, or events happening. But I thought it was such an interesting thing to see all the different communities coming together. And I don't know, if you're a yo-yoer and you haven't been to a juggling convention, you gotta go because you're not going to know what it's like and what kind of the, the, other, the other communities are doing and still having really fun events while also having competitions. There are serious juggling competitions, but the conventions that aren't the competition part, oh my God, it's so fun. So strong community building um, yeah. aspects to it. I, uh, oh, also I'm going to a flow festival next next uh, month in Indiana. So if anybody oh, wants nice. to go to that with me, uh, hit me up. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, so that I think was really cool. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think I competed in that too. I did not do good. <laughs> How did you end up doing? Oh, you won, didn't you? In I won 4A and I didn't do one in that year. Okay. But I think that was like the North American seating contest for Worlds the next year. I'm not wrong. Really? Yeah. Yeah, but it was cool having that for the first time with like all the other, you know, skill toys going on in the background too. Yeah. And I, I, I wouldn't, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if all the like beglary and kendama and sort of cardistry and oh, uh, balasong, I wouldn't be oh, surprised right. if a lot of that crossover was seated at that event because it had all those communities in one spot. Um, I, I would not be surprised at all if there was something, something to that. Yeah, I'm sure like during the contest, there was some like, maybe like other like jugglers watching the competition mm -hmm. that kind of get them either motivated to try yo-yoing too, yeah. or maybe it motivates their own tricks from like yeah. steps, you know? Absolutely. And oh boy, you just set up a perfect transition into what is written down as the next point, which is what do you do to create the, uh, the tricks that you're known for? Yeah, so I mean... In foray, there's a lot of freedom to make up certain tricks, uh -huh. but it's hard to, I guess, capture the essence of foray in the trick, which is just getting the yo-yo off the string and recatching it, you know? Yeah. So when it comes to making foray tricks, you can kind of go like one of two routes, I guess. The first route is kind of like making more variations of existing foray tricks. So like doing different kinds of arm orbits or messing with different styles of regens or even just like you know different kinds of whips but the second round is using other styles of yo-yoing to motivate your 4a tricks so me being a pretty avid 1a player too i try to inject some 1a concepts in my 4a trick but because obviously 1a is on the string and 4a is off the string there's definitely some like difficulties translating it 
from one style to the other. And I guess making it fit that essence of Foy that I mentioned earlier of getting it off the string. So what do you do to, uh, to force it into happening? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of different, I guess, tricks that I can maybe use uh-huh. to try and fit it into Foray. Like sometimes I would, you know, try and use a grind to fit it into my trick, but make it look kind of 1A-ish. Or maybe I just bend the rules of Foray a little bit to just not let it cut the string just yet until the last second. So it sort of counts as off string. Okay. That's awesome. So sort of being able to to get that that 1A essence, but still counting towards 4A points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I see. So did um did any of your Diablo inspiration play into into your style, do you think? To be honest, not really. Past. Not really in terms of making up new tricks. I think my Diablo past mostly just helped me get comfortable with catching the yo-yo, you know, and doing, I guess, basic ideas like orbits or whips. But then it didn't really influence me too much in making up new tricks because Diablo has the sticks, right? While yo-yo wing has just a freestanding string that you must bind it back to your hand. And because of the limitation of having the sticks, you can't like do a lot of Diablo tricks as easily in foray. I see. So when you come up with, um, sorry, I'm just having a little brain confusion here. Um, so, so you, Hmm. You you mentioned how you're kind of getting inspiration from 1A, right? Yeah. And so you're, <laughs> and not so much from, from Diablo. Uh, why would you, or maybe is there any other styles that you draw from or anything outside of Diabloing and 1A that you draw from? I, I don't think- know if that makes sense. <laughs> I think at some points I would explore like the juggling world too. Okay. Like maybe contact juggling or like just general clubs uh-huh. on how they maneuver the objects. Mm-hmm. Because in four, I think there's a lot of room for like using different parts of your body or like, I guess, like, you know how in juggling they have like those like blindsided tosses behind the head? Yeah. But they have to like, I guess in a split second, find where the object is and recatch it. Yeah, I think uh, that shadow kind of pass. That, oh, is that what it's called? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I think that kind of idea being translated to foray is really cool to me, and just having variations of how to toss the yo-yo, how to move it around the space, and stuff like that. Yeah, there's definitely uh, a lot of aspects. So it sort of sounds like if I could sum it up, it's like find a motion, not yeah. emotion, but a motion, and yeah, figure exactly. out how to fit that into the the essence of foray, which is make it go off the string. Pretty much, because I feel like both foray and juggling clubs or balls, mm-hmm. it has a similar idea of it being a free-flowing object that you must recatch. And because of that, I think it's a little bit easier to translate into foray than some 1A. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That that is interesting and something I haven't really played with. I mean, especially for like a regen combo, 
those mm-hmm. look like like a juggling pattern if you do them fast enough and consistently enough and like over and over and over uh that can look like a really good juggling set yeah it has a sort of yeah. a similar timing and then kind of on the topic of juggling too there's also solo ham which is a totally different world of four in my opinion oh yeah oh i mean i can get into solo ham i've got some some questions written on that what, what would you say is um is similar with solo ham I think the similarity between solo ham and like two Diablo tricks, for example, isn't as interconnected as some people might think. Uh Because I think what most people are able to do at least currently are just like Diablo orbits, maybe certain like tossing variations of the OEOs and so on. But because solo ham has two strings that are both touched to your hand, no sticks, and the yo-yos don't spin forever. Yeah. There's a lot of Solheim exclusive tricks that I think should be explored more and more. And for people listening who might not know, kind of the, with Diablo, you can get two, three, four, five, probably up to seven. I, I wouldn't imagine anyone goes beyond <laughs> that. Uh, Diablos all going in orbits at the same time. And within that you can kind of keep them going forever and then do it was like a trick called suns where they, yeah. where they like wrap really really quick so you can do those sorts of things and then revolutions like around your legs and stuff but then you can keep adding spin to them so you can kind of keep it going forever and so you're saying the difference is i mean also with with solo ham you're really probably only limited to two it's going to be really tough for someone to add three or four yo-yos so- into solo ham some people have done three before I've seen, mm-hmm. like kind of well, kind of clean. Yeah. But I can't imagine it going above three ever in the near future. Yeah. Maybe with like new yoga technology, it could work. But at the moment, it's pretty hard to imagine going above that. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe I wonder if, if they could make a, uh, a, a tiny Diablo <laughs> that you could basically do. Oh, that'd be interesting. Uh, yeah. Unlikely because a lot of uh multi diablo is, is like hitting the diablo with the stick and you'd probably lose all your spin if you did that with your finger um yeah. man yeah i don't know <laughs> i don't know how that would work but so there, there's sort of that aspect so then what would you say um I mean, maybe like regen combos would work but like what kind of what do you think is the ideal future for solo ham probably just exploring more tricks that are yo-yo related and not so much juggling related if you know what i mean okay like being able to incorporate things like regens Mm. maybe even like slacks or just more complicated tricks because you have the advantage of having a smaller yo-yo than a diablo i think that's the next step in expanding solo ham there's some really interesting stuff getting done i'm i'm excited to see what people do yeah, like when Hajime first started doing like off string seriously and was showing off the solo ham tricks, I was like, this is, <laughs> I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah, he does some next level stuff. Anything he touches just becomes next level. Um, like that one three minute full solo ham freestyle, too. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine like what went into that kind of freestyle and how you made all those tricks up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so some like 
inspiration god came down from the heavens and napped him. Just blessed him. <laughs> More likely, hours and hours and hours of practice. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, man, I would love to get Hajime on. Do you have, does he speak English? Is he? Last time I saw him, he didn't speak very fluent English. Okay. But I'm sure he's practicing all the time in Japan. Because okay. English is so commonly spoken over there. That's true. Yeah, no, I've I've been trying to get some people from from other countries in, and they're they're often yeah. like talking to me in perfect English, and then they're like, "Oh no, no, my English is terrible. I don't want to be on a podcast." <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that oh damn, if, if I can get him on, that would be incredible. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think there's the other thing is that you're saying is with um, in Diablo you have the sticks, and so that can be both another prop that you can use to swing around in your tricks, but something that you don't have in, in solo ham. So there's definite differences there. Which I think is a good thing though, because it kind of like makes it its own thing and doesn't make it just like a variation of Diablo, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. Such an interesting style. I was so, was it Rei Akura who first did that in a competition? No, there's this one guy in Japan and like, some small regional back in think, like 2007 or 8. Uh-huh. I did like a two-minute freestyle with just solo hand tricks, I think. Really? It's somewhere on YouTube, but it does exist. I I only ever remember Ray doing it for... <laughs> I think he like threw it in at the end of a... Was he maybe the first one to do it at a major contest? Or am I just yeah, totally messing yeah, up my history? Okay, okay. And then every oh, yeah. contest after that, his solo hands part gets longer and longer too. Uh-huh. It's just crazy. So good. It's, that was just one of those moments that totally changed all of, all of yo-yoing. Yeah, I know. People start looking at it and they're like, what? <laughs> oh, man. So I think we hit some of these points. One thing I wanted to mention, you said, um, as far as like, if, if you had a tip for anyone, it would be learn yo-yo history. What do you think is sort of the value in that? What have you done with that? And like, maybe what's some good yo-yo history to learn? Yeah, I think just learning about the different eras of yo-yoing is super important and just like developing your tricks. Mm-hmm. I guess just knowing more about how yo-yoing was back then mm-hmm. and how far it's come. Because I think nowadays it's so focused on landing tricks finding different variations of how land certain tricks to get more points. But back then, people were all about style too. And yeah, even yes. before then, it was just like chaos, I think, with no real structure. Like when I first started yo-yoing, YouTube and just watching videos was a pretty huge thing, right? Where you'd watch the most random contests from like five years back and try to copy their tricks and do your own trick. So I think with so much history behind us right now, it's like a full on encyclopedia that you can just learn more and more from. Like I'm sure people like Takeshi, for example, who've been doing for so long, all these years, I'm sure they go back into like the history books, pull a concept and make a modernized version of it, for example. And it just like looks like a totally brand new idea. Yeah, no, that's... uh... That's something also, I mean, I'll just pull out right here. 
uh, I love to do tie-ins with the Magic World. This is a. Uh, I have all eight volumes. They're these these multicolored books down here. What? These ones. So this is the Tarbell Course in Magic, <laughs> and there's eight volumes of it. Um, and there's there's other ones of just like massive old books, and this is from like the 40s. And a lot of magicians um, swear by this concept of if you want to amaze modern audiences, the trick is not to buy the newest the newest thing. It's go look at Tarbell and find the way to do the thing that you want to do and then do it for people. And they'll go, how on earth did you do that? That's so new and original and interesting. And it's like, no, no, no. You just got to go look at the old stuff. And that's something that the magicians talk about all the time at every level of the magic community. Literally every level, the, the best magicians in the world to the, to the random people you see working at like restaurants, they're all doing that. You go to the old material you find the stuff from there and you do it now and add the modern twists and, and the modern technology that's been added. And that's just like such a good way to be innovative and to create new stuff. So I think that really is something that you mentioned or when you said that, it really made me think of like mm. that, that whole concept of if you want to be new, go old because everything's been done before. Nothing's original, but we do have more technology now. Right. Like as back then, they did those tricks. tricks. They did those tricks because they like they had to. They didn't have like good yo-yos like nowadays. Yeah, now, you have the good yo-yos. It's worth revisiting those tricks and expanding more on top of that. And especially that style aspect of like, even if you're doing the same trick over and over, but doing it with a different style or intention or or kind of like like approach or oh, yeah. it's all it's almost like that that evolution of dance video that that went out a long time ago. Oh, like right, seeing yeah. how the style evolves through the ages. Um, uh, in fact, I think uh, Shu Takata might have done an evolution of yo-yo video on TikTok or something recently. I think he did. I think so. Um, through the decades. So that was kind of interesting. Um, but like that, that sort of style approach of like changing how you, you, you do your yo-yoing and just how mm -hmm. you are on stage. I think that's a, something people could learn from a little bit more today. Yeah, and, and exactly. Uh, yeah, oh man, I love that. What would you say um, is your approach to style? Like what, what if, if you were to, there's something you said in the pre-interview of like, if people saw Zach Gormley, but he was just a pair of shoes and like his, his jacket moving around on stage, people would mm -hmm. still know like you just erased his body and his yo-yo, you'd still yeah, know right. that's Zach Gormley on stage right now. Yeah. Uh, so kind of what would you say is, is your defining features of, of your tricks and kind of how you approach things? I don't think I've ever thought about that before, actually, like how I want my style to be mm -hmm. in general. I think a lot of it was just like, one, having a cool and calm presence on stage, personally but at the same time have people appreciate my tricks in a sense that like, you know how certain players like Mickey, for example, he's a pretty easy example to use. He just brings like a certain presence on stage. And I think I even touched on this on the pre-interview too, but have you ever heard of the power stance? I, I have, but just in the pre-interview. <laughs> so essentially I think Someone made a video on this on YouTube a while back, 
but it's basically being able to stand on the stage, just uh-huh. doing your tricks and commanding attention. Yeah. And I think someone who does really well is Tyler Severance. Like if he took the yo-yo away and like cut off his head, you can kind of tell that it's him yo-yoing because of how he just like moves his body with the yo-yo and just presents himself in the yo-yo to the audience, which I think is a pretty important thing because like you want to make a good impression on the judges, the audience to really like have a good time while watching a freestyle. Yeah. It's sort of that exuding confidence. Yeah, exactly. And just like having like being aware that people are watching you too. Mm-hmm. Like I think sometimes you like forget that you're on stage while yo-yoing and you like let yourself go a little bit, mm-hmm. but being conscious of like the world around you is really important. Yeah. Um, kind of made me think of if you if you watch the really old TV shows, like right when TV was getting big, when we went from radio to TV, all those performers are stage performers, but they're acting now for a camera. And so like the idea of acting for a camera and all the nuance that comes with it hadn't really come out yet. And so you have these performers on on this little tiny screen acting so big and like presenting out to an auditorium that doesn't exist. And, oh, and so like having that kind of command of attention um, is sort of what, I mean, now it's sort of a meme of the, if you think of people from that era, oh, they all talk like this, see? <laughs> uh, all that kind of stuff. So like, um, but yo-yoing is a, a stage performance. You're doing it live for humans, um, unless you're, you're, you're a video type person. Um, and so you don't need nuance. What you need is that power stance and that uh, ability to command attention. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing that you made me think of here, and also when you're talking about um, creating the routine and the difference between the tricks and the routine, but it also plays into this power stance and ability to command attention. Uh, two books I just want to recommend are one, Maximum Entertainment by Ken Weber, which is a book for magicians and mentalists, but all the stuff, all the theory, just pretend they say yo-yos when they say magic. Like It all applies, and it's how to make routines and be entertaining as a magician. And then the other one is Showmanship for Magicians by Daryl Fitzke. And it's, again, making routines, commanding attention, being interesting. Um, something you mentioned about Tyler Severance. If you take away the yo-yo, you can still kind of tell what he's like and how he acts. And um, and if you took away his yo-yo, he would still be able to command the attention of the people. Um, same with Gentry Stein, the way he moves around yeah. the, stand, uh, the, the stage. He has that power stance you're talking about. Same with Hiroyuki Suzuki. Um, same with... Um, uh, Oh my God! What what's what's her name? Um, uh, Betty Betty Galagos. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. She definitely has that. Um, man, there's so many people that like at the top. You gotta have that to command that attention. And there's an old one more magic thing I'm gonna tie in is it's a, an idea that people talk about all the time, which is if you take away the tricks, are you still gonna be entertaining? If you don't have your your cards with you, can you still command attention and tell an interesting story? Because if you can't do that, then you're not, you might be a magician, but you're not an entertainer. And if you can't command the attention of the judges and the audience, then you, you might be a yo-yoer and you might be good at yo-yo tricks, but you're not, you're not an entertainer and you have to be an entertainer if you want to win over an audience. Right. And I think part of the struggle for yo-yoers is that yo-yo tricks are, get pretty dang hard after a certain level. 
So it's like, it's kind of hard to like pay attention to the audience while doing your like super hard tricks on stage and landing them, you know? Yep. But I guess a lot of that is kind of like coming with practice too, where as you get more and more consistent, you can shift your focus more towards the audience and like how you perform. Yeah. But I think that's a pretty big struggle that a lot of players have balancing landing their trick that's really hard while also being you know presentable to the audience absolutely it's something i saw in your routine is there was a some crazy i think it was like some grind into a bind and if i were doing that i would be staring at it the entire time until it comes into my hand and you just like started it and looked up to the audience and nodded knowing that you were going to catch it before the trick was even halfway through and and it was just such a like show of confidence of like oh no i know i know i can do this um, yeah, like it, like it looks cool you know yeah that's such a good little thing um it's something i notice a, a lot of the the highest level people do as well mm -hmm. um awesome what would you say because that sort of audience interaction what, do, what would you say are other and something that come, that's come up before when we're talking um, what are other ways to get the audience involved and um, invested in your performance? I mean, like you can like throw free yo-yos and that get their attention. Well, that'll work. <laughs> T-shirt cannon. <laughs> yeah. I think other than that, like to get them more invested in your performance, mm -hmm. I guess bringing a different kind of entertainment. Like some people might have the hardest tricks possible and that'll catch attention but others would have like a really out of the box freestyle but having your like little shtick is really important just like i guess catching people's attention but also building more of a name for yourself and like your overall yo-yo style i see uh is that uh <laughs> some musical and all that i'm remembering is a lyric that's uh you gotta have a gimmick um yeah. you gotta have that one thing that uh that people know you by for sure like, it can definitely just be like really hard tricks right yeah but sometimes it needs to be a balance between the two yeah that that's making me think of uh janos his freestyle like his stage presence he kind of stays in one spot and didn't right. really move staring at his hands but the tricks he was doing were like every trick felt like he was telling a story yeah it was, it was next level yeah so like that's sort of uh not necessarily the best stage presence but the most incredible tricks mm -hmm. um absolutely i i also know you do a lot of horizontal for a you were kind of driving that forward um or it was being driven forward while you were doing it what would you say your ideas are on that and like ways so of getting think, better at that i think horizontal four is mostly inspired by 1a really mm -hmm. Like you see a lot of players doing like horizontal skin to gerbil, Eli hops. But after a certain point in like 2000, like 10 or 11, I feel like it really like jumped off in popularity and people were breaking the boundaries of 1A horizontal a lot more. And then me seeing that breakthrough in 1A made me want to do a similar thing in 4A. So like, I guess doing more body related tricks, maybe some more like, you know, I guess slack involved or whip involved tricks horizontally. That was another one of my challenges or like goals to achieve while I was improving my trick set. Okay. Uh, what would you say 
worked well or didn't work when you were kind of building up that trick set? I think there's like a combination of, there's like two kinds of tricks. There are tricks that are very easy to translate to foy horizontal that get really, really hard to land. But there are tricks that are less hard or th that are harder to translate to foy horizontal that are a little bit easier to land. So for one that's really easy to translate, but it's good to land, would be like a horizontal open string bind, for example, you know? Where in 1A, people do like those like binds horizontally back to their hand. But if you try to do that in 4A, it's really, really hard <laughs> for some yeah, reason. Yeah. And I think part of that is that in 1A, there's like a kind of like a guideline when it comes to getting the string back to the yo-yo. Because no matter what, if you just whip the string, it'll kind of like get close to the gap of the yo-yo because it's attached. Mm -hmm. But in 4A, it's just like a total free falling yo-yo with a free string. And yeah, it's hard yeah. to kind of gauge where each object is to land that trick. Yeah, it's, it's very much like juggling in that case. <laughs> just like a thing, except you can't catch it. You have to whip it. Oh man, yeah, no, that's uh. Plus, if you drop it with one A, it's just gonna hit the end of the string. Do a little DNA for a little. I guess that would be a UFO for a second. <laughs> you pull it back up and try again, but just bind it up in four A. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you do anything with four A. It's just gonna fall on the floor. Yeah, pretty much. But then when uh, it comes to making like a little bit more difficult tricks translate to four horizontal. I think that's when the real challenge is because you still want it to be 4A off the string, but you want to like still convey certain 1A concepts in 4A. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, I, th I was trying to dig into that earlier. What would you say is sort of, because you said the essence of 4A is coming off the string. What would you say is the essence of 1A that you're trying to capture in your 4A tricks? I think 1A essence a lot, is a lot broader in definition because like a lot of tricks can still be considered a trick because 1A is kind of like the basis of yo-yo tricks somewhat. Like a lot of 3A tricks are based off of 1A tricks. 5A is kind of related to 1A and so is 4A. But then it's kind of hard to say what the essence of 1A is. It's kind of more of like a launch pad of making up a new trick in 4A, not so much like the idea itself. So what would you say then with that in mind, do, do you think there's a world where people might start learning 4A similar to how they learn Diablo? Like you don't have to learn 1A yo-yoing to start learning Diablo. I don't think you'd really need to start learning 1A to start learning 4A. Do you know of anyone who's done that? And do you think maybe that would be an if somebody was in a world totally separated from 1A, um, do you think they might have a totally different approach? Like they started with Diablo and went straight to 4A? They just start with 4A oh. and that's all they know. I think, well, one, they'd have a really hard time learning because it's like yeah. hard to land on the string. But in terms of like approach to making up new tricks, I think the natural approach to making interest in 4A is using a different body part to have it like hop over or catch around. So in that sense, it's definitely 
pretty similar to what we have right now. But the real interesting thing is whether or not they will figure out open string binds or like regenerations. Because mm-hmm. like, I don't know how that was even discovered in like the caveman era of Yoeling. <laughs> like what was the guy thinking when he first made up binds and regenerations in 4A? I don't know, but it was a moment of brilliance. I know, I know. But hey, maybe if someone did start with just 4A, they discovered something else that we didn't think about either because we we're yeah. so like in the box of just 1A yo-yoing, you know? How could we ever know? Yeah. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to do some unethical experiment. <laughs> Raise a child and all they know is 4A yo-yoing. Oh, man. Uh, this is the new from Illink's Toys. <laughs> the child. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, no, oh, that's good. So, um, you also mentioned there's sort of a, um, like a safe zone when you're doing horizontal foray. Could you kind of go into what you mean by that? Yeah. So obviously when you do horizontal tricks, it needs to keep the centrifugal force to stay stable on that plane. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing certain tricks in foray, you kind of need to find the optimal timing where it's okay to let the yo-yo go without having it fly away from you with that centrifugal force. So it's a combination of kind of like slowing the yo-yo down while giving it a little bit of like an extra upward push mm-hmm. to give you time to recapture it or catch it back on the string. So for example, this, uh-huh. so for example, this one trick where it's like a uh, neck recapture orbit type of trick in 4A, it's in my video somewhere if you're curious on what it looks like. But it would go around my neck at a pretty like stable centrifugal force or speed. And when I want to like recapture it and let it off the string to kind of like, you know, capture the essence of 4A off the string, I need to adjust the timing and the force of how much you like push the yo-yo to allow you to recapture it, if that, make, if that makes sense. I see. So it's sort of, uh, if we imagine forward and backwards as the y-axis, left and right as the x-axis, up and down as the z-axis, you're trying to find a point where it's not moving on the x and y-axis, but it has a little bit of a bump up on the z-axis, sort of like a neutral stable point. Right, exactly. like you want to like shrink that force of the y and the, the y axis yeah to give it not so much movement to make it easier to catch back on the string that's interesting like, it's definitely one big difficulty in yo-yo wing where everything is very feel based you know yeah. like you can't like communicate it via text or video mm-hmm. you just need to experiment it by yourself and figure out the general feel of what it should feel like yeah that's a definitely a tough point in yo-yoing. Although, for one more book recommendation, the Yonomicon by Mark McBride attempts to do that. <laughs> and yeah. I am going to attempt to expand on that. He has a whole system of, of yo-yo notation that oh. lets you communicate different. It's only for 1A, um, but definitely could be expanded out to 4A, 3A, and uh, all, the, all the other styles. Oh, but, that's interesting. Uh, really interesting um 
yeah, I'm, I'm reading through it. I'm, I'm going to do a whole, there's a whole project that's in the works on that, but uh, it's, it's a really, really interesting book. And it was made in like the, the nineties. So before a lot of modern yo-yo technology has come, it was so far ahead of its time. Um, was binding a thing back then? No. <laughs> so it's before he, binding, basically. He calls bearings rolling transaxle yo-yos. <laughs> like there was unresponsive yo-yos weren't a thing necessarily <laughs> when it was written. So it was written, I think, a year before I was born too. So that kind of does remind me of one thing. Huh? The topic of yo-yo documentation. Yeah. Like having documents about yo-yoing whether it's like technology trick theory or just learn the basics mm -hmm. i think that's one that you're kind of lacking nowadays where you have all those magic books behind you right but you don't oh, see yeah. any, you don't see any yo-yo books ever which could be a pretty cool idea <laughs> yeah, yeah no that uh that is part of why this oh yeah i missed the fourth bookshelf over there uh, <laughs> That is, and then there's the entire drive in here, which is my iPad with like hundreds of books. This is all DVDs. I have a hard drive with um, a, a bunch of other stuff. So it's like, there's a lot. I show that just to say, there's so much magic uh, literature, literally to the point where I say that magicians are basically researchers and so little yo-yo literature and, and theory out there. And that's part of, I mean, you hit on why I'm doing this show. <laughs> it's, to, it's to capture yo-yo theory. Um, and there's more projects in the work. But that, uh, I mean, just talking about that turns into a promotion for myself since that's totally what I'm, <laughs> what I'm on the nice. path of trying to do. Um, but yeah, no, I 100%, 150% agree with you because literally that's what I'm here trying to do. I'm so glad to have you be a part of it. Um, man, yeah, no, that's uh, just... I, I, if we're on that point, what I'll, I, I do just want to share one book, which is this, it's called The Magic Way by Juan Tamariz. This is one book that has one concept in it. It's just a single concept. So like, imagine if someone was like, I'm going to do an entire book on magic knots or um, on like how to do all the different variations of regeneration, but it's just one right. literally theoretical concept this is a graphic about what that concept is, which is how do you make a trick that no one can ever figure out and that you're giving them like false explanations while you do it so that they can think, oh, maybe he did that, did that, but then you disprove that false explanation so that now you've led them down the wrong path. So that's sort of what this whole graphic on the cover is about. That's what this, what, 250 page book? Yeah, 250 page book is all about. And all the chapters are just different examples of him applying it to different routines that he's done. So just like, one just just one idea basically right yeah so there's there's theory books this is a set of books on scripting so like writing routines and then different then there's other books where it's just like different moves so like this is this is bobo's modern coin magic so it's just all the different uh moves and routines and sleight of hand moves that you can do with coins and so just to kind of summarize the different options that magic has of like different kinds of books that can be written either about routining or theory of how a trick could be made, or here's all the different stuff I've done with this. So I could totally see you writing a book on all the different horizontal foray stuff that you've done. Like a hundred percent you could do that or give lectures about that. 
um, it's another thing magicians do. People make a living just touring the country, going to magic clubs, giving different lectures. Um, so like, and that's something also that happens at juggling conventions. I could talk about this all day. Uh, those are the kinds of things that I talk about when I'm like, yo-yo events are kind of lame in that we only do competition. There are other stuff that we could be doing that's like knowledge and, um, and theory focused. And like that's the sort of stuff I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Like workshops and stuff like that too, like contests maybe. Yes. Oh, that would be so yeah. good. I no, think back in like the uh-huh. Orlando, Florida days of worlds, they did have some workshop where it was like a pro yo yo in a certain style, giving like a general like tutorial or course with a group of people in a small room. But it definitely wasn't like, it didn't reach its full potential yet. But maybe down the line, it can be like revisit, you know? It's gotta be. Oh, I would, I would die for it. <laughs> That's what I want so bad. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, if if there were ever the possibility, would you want to do one of those workshops? As in, like, be a teacher for one. Like, oh, that's gonna, that, that's pretty hard because I feel like if it's online, you know, like a yo-yo video tutorial, mm-hmm. it's hard to be effective. But maybe if you're in person. It's a little bit more of a realistic idea. Because mm-hmm. yeah, like, it's, so, it's so intricate too, you know? Yeah. It's a little like, if your string is off by like one centimeter, you're going to miss the trick. Mm-hmm. But there also needs to be like a certain feel of how the trick should look like in person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It all plays into it. Yeah. Well, that's a... Uh... That's some good stuff. <laughs> if <laughs> if there's ever the possibility, I might reach out to you. Is all I'm saying. Um, for a workshop. Yeah. Um, there were two more points I wanted to hit. One, you mentioned um, if you had a recommendation for someone, uh, you would tell them try using a bad yo-yo for one week straight. Could you dive into yeah. what you mean by that? Yeah. So nowadays, we're pretty spoiled in good yo-yos, I'd say, right? Mm-hmm. Like virtually every one of you on the market right now is pretty solid. You can learn just about any trick with it and even compete to a certain extent. But back in like 2009 when I first started, yo-yos weren't that efficient or that well-performing at certain price ranges. And even before then, before we started even yo-yoing even, they had like fixed axle yo-yos, responsive yo-yos, and just like pretty, you know, for lack of a better word, bad yo-yos. Where I think if people today tried practicing with those yo-yos and get good with those kinds of yo-yos, it would really help them get better at how they present their tricks and just overall be more of a, you know, smoother, confident player. Like, Nowadays, it's nice to have a really good yo-yo, but it does serve as a little bit of a training wheel type of thing. But by having like yo-yos that are less forgiving with your tricks, more prone to, you know, like tilts or like lack or loss of spin, if you can do your like hardest trick on those yo-yos, you will definitely be able to land that trick on a good yo-yo. So when you're on stage two, it's a lot easier. Absolutely. So where do you think we can find a bad yo-yo? 
can't be that hard. <laughs> just like go on like, or not even a bad year, just like a, maybe like lower tier year. Like I think Duncan has some pretty good like free and zeros to just use for fun. Very good yo-yo, yeah. With those, or like maybe try using a slim yo-yo for example, with less of a gap to land your string on. Like when I first started Foray, I had a dark magic, right? And instead of buying like an Aquarius or a big yo to do foray, for whatever reason, Yo-Yo Nation had sections for different styles of play in the yo that they had for each one. And for some reason, the dark magic was on the off-string section. So I just learned off-string on dark magic at first and was like, it's kind of hard, but I'll just, I'll make it work. And when I finally bought a big yo or a Fiesta, it was just so much easier. So it's that kind of idea of handicapping yourself a little bit to progress more down the line. And it's also so much of the retailer's responsibility to get that right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Although who knows, maybe maybe they were just of the era where off string was taking a yo-yo and taking off the string. No, <laughs> there's no <laughs> justification for that because no one's using a dark magic for off string in 2010. <laughs> And the Fiesta is cheaper than the Dark Magic Two. Just buy the Fiesta. Oh, oh my God! Now he's uh, Brian made the trace, right? Was that just on? Yeah, his own? he made the trace. No, his latest series is called the Trueno. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's technology. Right. That's what it's called. Yeah. Okay. Wow, I'm I'm one behind. <laughs> Man. Uh, God, I, I had a, what was that? Fiesta XX. Oh yeah, that one. That, no, that was a good yo-yo actually. That was really good. Fun yo-yo. Yeah. Um, man, so then the other thing I wanted to hit on was, God, even though I want to talk about yo-yo jam off strings now, <laughs> how uh, Ray Iwakura's uh, off string might, my friend Julian was sponsored by them for a while and he went uh, through so many of those yo-yos because they the just kept screen. shattering. Yeah. Oh man, yo-yo jam was yo-yo jam's yo-yos were kind of questionable ones sometimes, but it's <laughs> undeniable that they made some of the funnest yo-yos to use. Oh yeah. I'm still throwing my speeder twos. Yeah, I still have my quest somewhere. Fun yo-yos. You know. Man. So then the last uh, question before the like conclusion questions is what would you say, and this is a, uh, a question I actually got from Chris Chun. Um, oh. He answered in my, if you, if, for everybody listening, if you check out my Instagram page, Illinks Toys, I-L-I-N-X underscore T-O-Y-S. Um, sometimes I'll post on the story and you can ask questions to my guests. Ooh, go check out my Instagram, uh, funneling you in there. Anyway, um, Chris Chun, a past guest, asked this, what would you say is the future for 4A yo-yo design? 4A yo-yo design. Yeah, and I know you had a, um, it was the, uh, uh, oh, something EX. What was your signature? Oh, the, the Jet Set EX? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one came out back in 2016, I think, mm -hmm. 2016. And then I think part of what made that special was that it used a stainless steel ring, I believe, inside the cup of the yo-yo to give it more rim weight for more spin, right? 
but because I preferred a lighter yo-yo to maneuver around the string in my body, it didn't add too much weight on to add the benefit of spinning up for a longer period of time. But I think having that like metal weight ring inside the yo-yo for off-screen is kind of like that period's revolutionary thing. But coming up, maybe something that could be cool. I mean, like totally impractical, but do you remember the yo-yo jam synergy? Uh, I remember the name. What didn't I have like a plastic cup on the outside? So it was like I remember the wrong thing. It was a one A yo yo uh-huh. with a plastic rim uh-huh. that had a ball bearing railing on the inside of it. So if you held onto the rings, it'll continue spinning. It's like a pre era nine dragons, I think. Yeah, similar to that. But if they can make an off-string yo-yo with that concept, that would definitely make competition a lot easier. Because sometimes in competition for foray, there are different floor surfaces, right? There's wood, concrete, carpet. And depending on the floor surface, the yo-yo can either bounce or just run off off the stage and it's over. But by having that bearing rim, if you drop the yo-yo, it's much easier to recover or just pick it back up and continue your freestyle. I mean, probably that, super that. easy to break if you drop it. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe something to make it work. That would be really interesting. It's so, because I know that the Nine Dragons is so finicky. <laughs> like, yeah. To find a good one is rare if it was even possible. And and they're super loud they have a lot of problems but if someone can figure out how to do that right that would be awesome and if people don't get how that would work that would mean that it would be able to spin independent of the rim so it would just land right yeah it would just sit there and go anywhere yeah wow yeah that would be really cool man well chris chun go figure out how to do that (laughs) (laughs) go go ask duncan yeah (laughs) have them figured out um Wow. Well, it's been awesome having you on. There are three questions that I ask at the conclusion. One is a takeaway point, um, which is we've been here for a while, having an awesome conversation. But if you were to sum this up for somebody and just tell them one thing, you know, they, they popped in, they're like, oh, what'd you talk about? What's the one thing that you would say uh, of like maybe one point that uh, that got made in this episode that you really want people to remember? Probably considering all the variables of yo-yoing. Because when you're like, whether you're making up a new trick, practicing for a competition, or just, you know, I don't know, like thinking about yo-yo technology, every little thing can definitely make a difference. So it's important to like dive into each variable that you can find and try and hone in on it to further, you know, improve or solidify on it. So like practicing for competitions, you can either try and figure out what tricks you can improve on, what, uh, you know, sync the music better, or if you're looking for a new trick, considering not just current ideas, but going back in time to see what they did and bring it back to the current present time. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's something I think is super important. and. Uh, for me, I'd say 
um, the what you said about having a routine and not just thinking about the tricks, but practicing the routine and then also practicing the routine as a whole and knowing mm -hmm. all that and then figuring out what tricks to work on. I think that's super important because then you're not just thinking in the in terms of I do this trick and then this trick and then this trick. It's I do this routine, which makes yeah, you think yeah. about everything. Right. Um, yeah. So that and considering all of the variables that go into the what you're doing up there, um, and how to create even just that. like in, even just like in life too, just like consider what's around you, yeah. what you can maybe like tweak a little bit to make bigger changes down the line, stuff like that. Yeah. Avoid tunnel vision. Yes, exactly. Impossible. Um, uh, maybe on that point, what would you say people could do to to do that more in yo-yoing? Maybe not be so stressed out over yo-yoing. Because <laughs> I think when I was like first started off yo-yoing, I got a little bit too enamored with like the smallest details, but if you just explore the overall idea of yo-yoing and what you can do, it makes it a lot easier to like not get so tunnel vision, you know? Absolutely. Man, that's good. I'll, and I'm also going to just toss in, um, if, you, if you're listening and you have any thoughts on yo-yoing, go write a book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, then next is plugs, um, which uh, you're sponsored by something here, Yuki Suzuki's company. See, I, it's mm -hmm. where I know his name. <laughs> I don't know how I forgot. Hiroyuki, I'm so sorry. Uh, and so do you have any like plugs, any upcoming products for them or any projects that you're working on right now that you want people to check out? Um, definitely go check out something by Yo-Yo Addict. A lot of new stuff coming out. I believe they have a new yo-yo like parts company in the brewing right now. So the company name is called on, on Instagram, it's called Spinning Objects Hardware. Check that out and stay up there with them. They'll probably have like, you know, bearings, pads, things you could maybe imagine for yo-yo parts. But in terms of other projects going on, not too much going on right now, but definitely expect some more competition appearances in the next year or two once we you know we start seeing more that they're happening again <laughs> i mean there is nationals but it's kind of coming up pretty soon you know yeah oh man i'm excited i'm gonna yeah. somehow hell or high water i'm gonna be there um yeah <laughs> then the last thing is the endless chain everyone that i have come on i have them recommend someone that they think would be great for the show someone interested who has like interesting thoughts on yo-yo theory or has done something really cool for the community that would be good to talk to them about um is there anyone you can think of and the only thing is you have to be able to put me in touch with them no specific person but maybe someone from scales would be cool Ooh, is there anyone that you know that you could uh get me in touch with uh, maybe call it yeah, close, okay. close to yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, let me write that down. <laughs> Colin Beckford, right? Not just some random. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think everyone knows who Colin is. Also. Just, just some guy named Colin. Yeah. He works down at the truck scales on the freeway. He's a, <laughs> a great guy. Uh, 
Awesome. Well, cool. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show, Michael. This has been awesome. Yeah, super fun talking about yo-yos and more. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, perfect. Thank you, and I'll see you around. Yeah, see you at the next DXL meet. Absolutely.